We are continuing on today in our uh, sermon by Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Um, and I was contemplating finishing the chapter today, but I realized um, it would probably be best to finish Acts chapter 7 next time we are together. So today we will be covering verses 35 to 50. And we will get to that as soon as I open us in another brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being here. Lord, I pray that you would open your word to us, that you'd show us those things that you would have us to learn, um, that you bless my preparations and that you would be honored and glorified by the thoughts of my heart and the and the, the words of my mouth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so as we have been going through Acts chapter 7, we are seeing Stephen give a defense of the gospel. Now it's interesting to me that as we were going through Acts chapter 6, I believe, what did we find? We found that Stephen was chosen as a deacon because the disciples themselves said, we do not want to leave the teaching of the word of God to serve tables. So we're going to appoint deacons. And they found Stephen full of the Holy Ghost. So Stephen's primary job, so to speak, was not to preach the word of God. And yet, if Jesus is in you, you can't help but let Jesus out of you. And that is what is happening with Stephen here in this passage, is that God is bringing truth out of Stephen because he is full of the Holy Ghost. And if you want to be God's vessel, God's vehicle for sharing truth with others, you must fill yourself with his truth. Or rather, allow him to fill you with his truth. So in this passage... Stephen has been going through some of their uh, favorite Old Testament stories. We covered Joseph at one point in this series on chapter 7. We covered the beginning of Moses' ministry. And now we're going to talk a little bit more about Moses. The significance of this is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they would often say, we are Moses' disciples. But what did Jesus say when they said we are Moses' disciples? He said, if you were Moses' disciples, you would believe me because Moses testified of me. And, he all, and they also said, well, we are of our father Abraham. And what did Jesus say? He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And they said, how could Abraham See your day, you're not even 50 years old. You haven't even been here that long. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. So it's, it's on this basis 
that we find ourselves at Acts chapter 7, verse 35. And the first point that I want to make today as we are contemplating Israel's long journey, which incidentally was made longer by their disobedience, is... So, Israel's long journey begins with this short section, Moses leads Israel out of Egypt. Okay? So, let's read verses 35 to 38 of chapter 7. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer, deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers whom received the lively oracles to give unto us. So we, we see in this first part that Moses had a similar problem or, or that Moses was at, had a similar problem to that which Jesus was having with these religious leaders. God sent Moses to the people and he said, I want you to bring them out of Egypt. And what did Moses say? Moses feared this very thing. He said, what if they do not believe me? Who do I say has sent me to them? And he says very simply, say to them, I am, has sent me to you. And of course, they struggle with Moses' leadership from the very beginning. In this passage, we see that he brought them out after he had showed them the wonders and signs in the land of Egypt. They were all excited that night of the Passover. They ate their last meal in Egypt with their shoes on. It was not very common in those days. And I'm sure some of you have houses where you prefer people not to wear their shoes in your house. So you kick off your shoes when you walk in the door. Walk around in your stocking feet. But they had their shoes on. They had their bags packed. They had their walking staffs in their hands because they were going to see a great deliverance from the people of Egypt. And this is that even the people of Egypt gave them some of the things they needed. That's how much God provided for them to leave Egypt. And then it says, This is that Moses who said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall... Okay. And then I wanted to go to 
the part where it says, and in the Red Sea. Think about this. Just a few days, I'm guessing probably three or four days after they leave Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. And there's no way they can get across, especially with two million people, approximately. Women and children. Not everybody can swim. They have cattle. They have so much stuff. How can they get across? And to top it off, some of them looked back and they saw Pharaoh's army coming after them. Because Pharaoh must have said after they left, after a few days after they left, he said, how am I going to get all my work done? I know, I'll go and I'll get them and I'll bring them back. And so the children of Israel are sitting here on the edge of the sea and what do they say to Moses? Let's look and find out what they said to Moses and what Moses said to them. Exodus fourteen twelve to sixteen. Exodus fourteen twelve to sixteen. Of course, we could read a larger portion, but for the sake of time and for the sake of today's message, we will just focus on these five verses. Exodus fourteen twelve to sixteen. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift up thou thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Okay. Now, isn't this typical of the children of Israel? They were excited to leave. They had their shoes on. They had their walking sticks in their hands. They had all their stuff packed. They were just waiting for Moses to give the signal. And they marched out in triumph and victory. A couple of days later, they were like, Hey, hey Moses. Hey, Moses. Didn't we tell you that we wanted to stay in Egypt? And there are several other times, if you go through this Pentateuch that we hold in our hands, these first, these, these four books of the Bible particularly, where they will say to Moses, when the going gets rough, maybe we should go back to Egypt. And there's a point where they're like, let's appoint a new leader and let's go back to Egypt because they were so quick to forget what God had done for them. And it talks also in here about the 40 years in the wilderness. Do you realize they could have been in the promised land about two or three weeks after they left Egypt? And yet when they sent the spies in, 
They sent one spy from every tribe. Ten of them came back and said, The land is great, but there's giants in the land. We can't go. And Caleb and Joshua stood up and said, Let's take the land right now. God has given it to us. It's rich. It's flowing with milk and honey like God said. Let's take it. The other ten said, No way. So God said, Okay, then your children will see it. But you will die in the wilderness. But here's the good news. Your clothes and your sandals won't wear out. I don't know if you've ever had any pair of any piece of clothing last you 40 years, but to me, that's a pretty amazing thing. That their clothes and their sandals wouldn't wear out. So even in his punishment of them, he was still showing his watch care for them. I think that's an important thing to notice as we begin this message because you'll see it all through what what Stephen has to share. And what we see here is great words of hope from Moses. He says, Fear not, for these Egyptians who you see there, you will see. No more forever. A definitive article. When God spoke to the children of Israel, he spoke in the definitive. What does he say to us when he takes our sin away? He says, your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. Paul wrote to the Galatians when they started to slip back into the slavery of their Judaism. He said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Only use not your liberty to serve your flesh, but by love serve one another. So we can be thankful for the liberty that God has given us. And Stephen is saying to these religious leaders, God liberated the people of Israel from Egypt, and yet they still didn't want their liberty. All of a sudden they see the the Pharaoh and they think how bad he's going to make their life and he brings them back and they're like, we should have just gone back to Egypt. How foolish were we? And I and I think about the confidence that Moses had. Yes, I believe he was scared because he was human. But the confidence that Moses had after after being in the Lord's presence and he said stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he, by example, stood still, put his rod over the Red Sea, and it began to part. I found this quote. It says, People will follow your footsteps more readily than they follow your advice. When you are living a consistent life, 
when you're walking in a way that pleases the Lord, then your advice carries weight. As a, as a minister of the gospel, I have to constantly remind myself that the things that I have to say, my opinions, they need to go out the window when I'm up here. Because the things that I have to say aren't that important, but the things that God has to say are very important. And my job is to share them with you. And not only is my job to share them with you, my job is to encourage you and exhort you to learn for yourself. I hope that when you come here on Sunday morning, it is just a a continuation of the richness that you are experiencing during the week. That it's a way station, a coming away from the things of your life so you can focus solely on Him. But if this is the only place you're getting food, then you're going to be weak. And you're not going to be able to walk through the places that God has for you to go. We need to be daily in the Word. And I say that to myself as well because I'm not the best at it. We need to be daily in the Word. And if you read on in that passage, you see that God says that your people are going to go over on dry land. You know, I was watching, I don't know if you ever heard of Nest Entertainment, but they came out with these Bible videos for children and my parents got a big collection of them and I remember watching the crossing of the Red Sea and I saw all these puddles in the middle of the sea that they were walking through and their sandals were getting wet and I was like, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they walked across on dry land. How amazing would that have been? I still would have been kind of freaked out because you have a wall of water on one side of you and a wall of water on the other side. But that's why you, can't, you couldn't go to the left. You couldn't go to the right. All you could do was go straight across the Red Sea. And if, you followed Mo, if they followed Moses, then they would make it to the other side. And when they made it to the other side, Moses stretched out his hand again over the sea, and God caused it to what? To collapse on the Egyptians. And then Miriam sang this song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider fell into the sea. And they sang that song. And they rejoiced because once again, God had shown himself faithful. Now because they were human and because they were the Israelites, it wouldn't be long until again they would be complaining. But over and over in the Old Testament, God says, identifies himself this way. I am the God of Israel who brought you out of Egypt. And he said it over and over again because they easily forgot. That's why we have the Lord's table for us as believers today. 
because we so easily forget that which God has done for us. Okay, the second section, Israel rebels against Moses. Now we know that it kind of started out talking about them refusing Moses, but then as they went on, it got worse. In verse 39 it says, so I'm I'm reading now, verses 39 to 42. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again unto Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as to Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Now, this still sometimes astounds me when I read it because I think about the fact that these people were, were still the people that were physically alive when they when God delivered them from Egypt. We don't know how, how, exactly how long after they left Egypt the golden calf was, but these people had been in Egypt. We're not into the next generation yet, and yet they still... Moses goes up into the mountain and he and he's gone and they don't know when he's going to come back and instead of waiting on the Lord instead of asking Aaron to intercede for them with the Lord because Aaron was the priest he could have prayed to the Lord instead of that they said make us a calf make us a golden calf that it may go before us for we don't know what happened to Moses. What was the... I find it ironic that Moses was gone getting the Ten Commandments and they were breaking a bunch of them right there. But he said, You shall not make unto yourselves any graven images to bow down to them. Can we look at Exodus chapter 32? Exodus 32. I believe I've written down verses 1 to 6. Exodus 32, 1 to 6. Yes. Somebody could read that for us. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, Gathered, up, uh, gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, um, and said unto him, Up make us gods which shall go before us, for perhaps for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what uh, become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings that are in your ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings that are in 
day years and brought them into the air. And when he received them in their hand and fashioned it, into, and fashioned it with a graving tool, and he had made a molten calf, they said, These be thy, uh, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up on the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and, and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat. So, a couple things here. First of all, when Moses does come back, Aaron basically implies, hey, I threw all this jewelry in the fire, and this calf popped out. But we know that in order for it to be the shape of a calf, Aaron had to fashion it. He had to deliberately make the decision to fashion an idol for the people of Israel. This was not just a happenstance, incidental calf that came out of the flames. Incidentally, it's the same type of thing when I hear people talk about the Big Bang being the beginning of the earth. Everything else we understand has a creator. We if we like the way something's made, we might look up the manufacturer to see what else they made because they did a good job. Or if it's a bad job, we say, we'll never buy from that manufacturer again. People have all kinds of jokes about different automotive things. Um, you know, some people don't like Ford and they say it's an acronym for found on road dead. Um, or any number of things that you could... You could say the joke about different manufacturers. So we understand that brands and manufacturers have power. But then some of these same people, they look at the complexities of the universe and they say, it just happened. No creator. And it just amazes me how... That can be the case, but the, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. So what happened when Moses came down from the mountain? First of all, he burned with indignation, and he threw the tablets down and broke them. Then he melted the golden calf and made the children of Israel drink it. Can you imagine that? I don't know if that was a specific directive from God or if that was just Moses being Moses. But that could not have been a pleasant experience. And that was probably partially the influence of Egypt. You know, they'd seen the Egyptians bow down before these false gods. I, I believe that that's why God brought them out of Egypt. Because he brought them to Egypt to save their lives. And Joseph, through wisdom and foresight, put them in Goshen and told them to remain as shepherds rather than hiring them to work in his household so that they could be separate, even though they were with the Egyptians, they were separate, and the Egyptians would leave them alone because shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. 
And then when they left Egypt, or when the plagues happened, Goshen was protected from the plagues. And then they left Egypt, but then they said, they kept saying, we want to go back to Egypt. And then what do they do when Moses leaves for a little while? They fashion a false god. Because they wanted something they could see. Something they could touch. But the Bible says of those kind of gods, they don't have eyes that they can see. They do not have ears that they can hear. They don't have hearts that they can feel. So there's nothing in a God like that. And um, I just, I think about how easy it is when I consider the Israelites, how easy it is to, to lose your first love. To forget about God. This is a God who protected them from not just one. You realize when the when the water turned to blood, the Israelites had water to drink. All through these plagues, they never touched the Israelites. Even the firstborn dying of man and beast did not touch the Israelites, and yet they still forgot him and made an idol. It's a reminder to me, not only that I need to not forget God, that I need to remember his promises, but also that I have a sacred responsibility to pass that on to the next generation. As the book of Judges, chapter 1, paints a very bleak picture. It says there arose generation that knew not Joshua nor the things of God there's coming a day when I will if the Lord tarries when I will die when I will be buried in the ground and what I have to say won't matter following me won't matter because I'll be gone I'll be in heaven Following Christ is what's going to matter. Remember Paul said imitate me, but he didn't just end there. He said imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So the challenge we can draw from this is that we should follow hard after God and we should teach others to follow God. Paul said to Timothy, Commit these things unto faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And when people started talking about following certain humans, Paul was quick to say, don't say I'm of Paul. Don't say I'm of Apollos. It's not important to be of Paul. It's not important to be of Alistair Begg or John MacArthur or Paul Washer. Or any number of, or D.L. Moody, or Charles Spurgeon, was important is to be a Christ. Any power that these men have had to share the truth has been because they know and believe and love the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what I want you to take away today of anything else. If you don't remember anything else that's said, love Jesus Christ. It can be so easy to miss. Because so many of these people that Stephen is talking to, they saw him in the flesh. They maybe even talked to him. And yet they missed it. And so we move on to our third and final section of today. Israel faces consequences. You know, if you look at the book of Judges, you'll find that over and over again, the children of Israel repented and served God, then followed after idols, then repented and served God. And yet, the very end, the very last verse of the book of Judges says this, there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eye. Now, should they have been able to write that there was no king in Israel? No, because God was their king. The children of Israel said, we want a king like all other nations. And Samuel said, but God is your king. Why are you seeking a king to be like the Gentile nations? And God said, don't worry, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Give them what they want. And so we got the worldly king, Saul, who never personalized his relationship with God. Yes, he was filled with the Holy Spirit at particular specific times. In the early going, it says that he prophesied. But when it came time, to sacrifice to the Lord with Samuel. He said, let us go and, and make sacrifice to your God. And one of his main reasons for doing it is because the people would look down on him if he didn't. He cared more about popular opinion than he did about the truth. And I often wonder if it was God's ultimate desire, I know God's will is always fulfilled, but I often wonder if it's God's ultimate desire for David to be the first king of Israel. But see, David wasn't ready to be the king of Israel. And the people were not patient to, to, to wait for God's choice. And so God said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to give you a king like the Gentiles seek. And you're going to deal with that. And so, they got Saul. Now, I don't know for sure. Perhaps God wanted to remain their king indefinitely and not have a human king, but he maintained the... He allowed the kingly line to be maintained through the centuries after that. So, 
I'm not sure. But the point is, the people were turned away from God. So let's look at verses 43 to 50. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remaphin figures which you made to worship them and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the faces of our fathers unto the days of David who found favor before God and desired to find the tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house, howbeit the Most High dwelled not in temples made with hands, say, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not mine hand made all these things? And the point that Stephen is making in this third section here is that all through this time, the children of Israel had the tabernacle. They had later the temple of Solomon. And yet, they cared more about the temple than they did about God. What, did they, what was it they said of Jesus? He said he will destroy this temple. And in three days, he'll build it again. What did Jesus say about the temple? He said, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You see, the church is not the building that we reside in. There's a lot of big, fancy churches in downtown Grand Rapids. One of them is Wealthy Street. It used to be called the Wealthy Street Baptist Church. Now it's just called Wealthy Street Church. I was on their website probably about a year or two ago. And they are totally devoid of God now. As a matter of fact, I... I clicked on a PDF of one of their sermons and it said something to the effect a disclaimer at the bottom about there being no absolute truth and that if you could gain some wisdom from this then more power to you but it was not intended to offend or come across as absolute truth. You see, going to church every Sunday will not save you. Giving tithes will not save you. See, the religious leaders got that wrong too because Jesus said, you say that you give all of your tithes to God, but you don't take care of your own parents. And he said... It's unacceptable. See, tithes to God are important, but 
we still have responsibilities for those in our lives. What the, what the religious leaders often missed was that they thought that the, the practices, the rituals were what mattered. And God said, the reason that you do these things, the reason that I gave you these things, the reason that I gave you the tabernacle, the reason that I gave you the temple, was so that you could worship God. Not so that you could worship it. And basically what Stephen is saying is you're worshiping your ritual, you're standing on your temple, you're standing on the fact that you're religious, And you think that God is only in the temple, but heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. My hand made all these things. And basically what Stephen and his friends had been preaching was that now God wants to indwell each of you. Because Jesus came Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead. And this should make us all excited because now we don't have to be like the kings of the Old Testament and hope that the Holy Spirit falls on us. We can know because of what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians Chapter 1, I believe that we are sealed with the promise of His Holy Spirit. And what Stephen is doing, if you are tender before God, what Stephen is preaching should make you excited and happy. Sad for who you are, but happy for what God can do for you. But as we will see next time, it didn't have that effect on the people that he was talking to. But I believe there was one man there that day who he was talking to that it ended up having an ultimate effect on. A man by the name of Saul of Tarsus whose life would change so dramatically that his name changed. And he would be forever known after that as the Apostle Paul. He said, not of the will of men, but of the will of God. It's God's will that you come to know him in a personal way. If you don't know him today, I urge you to take that step and to pass from death to life by simply acknowledging him as Savior and Lord and asking him to take over your life because if you're anything like me when you try to live your life by yourself you make a shambles of it but he takes broken things and he makes them beautiful he's done that in my life and he can do it in yours just want to end with this quote from well I have two quotes first of all from Henry Blackaby 
says, God's commands are designed to guide you to life's very best. You will not obey him if you do not believe him and trust him. You cannot believe him if you do not love him. You cannot love him unless you know him. Henry Blackaby. And then Tom Landry, the great Dallas Cowboys football coach, said the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. And I apply that with the fact that Jesus requires a lot from us. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, him who loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it, but he who keeps his life will lose it. It doesn't cost us anything to trust him, but at the same time it costs us everything. So I hope that you have been given a lot to think about today. On your own time, you can read um, Deuteronomy 5, 8, and 9. We won't take time to read it today, but it just talks about some of the consequences that God laid out if the children of Israel went against him and decided to go their own way. Because he knew that they would. He knows that we will too. He knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. And yet he loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Stephen and the great example that he is to us. Lord, we pray that we would be bold like him. Pray that we would preach in the power of your spirit. That we would say things that need to be said and not just say the things that are popular. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.